This is Dating After Death, a podcast sorting out all the complicated emotions that come along with looking for love again after losing our forever person. And I am your currently anonymous host. Today I'm talking to Simon Blake, who is one of the few men who speak openly about what it's like to be a widow in the Instagram community. And Simon and I have been connecting for a little while, and he was an obvious choice for today's episode. I wanted to ask Simon about 17 other questions that I was able to get to with him in this interview, but I think the conversation is still really rich, and he's going to talk to us about finding someone new to do his life with after losing his beautiful Annie. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. So hi. Hi. (laughs) I'm really, really just so glad to be sitting down with you because I feel like it's, I've just been waiting to talk to you. First of all, I just want to say, I think you have been doing the most beautiful job just sort of through your Instagram page, introducing us to Annie lately and just giving us more about who she was and your journey with her. And it's so nice to read. (laughs) I'm glad. Thank you. It's been good. It's one of the interesting things is Annie always wanted me to write. Mm. You know, we we always talked. We we had a very deep relationship around talking, communicating, sharing ideas with each other. And she, as an artist, did a lot of writing. She wrote for a ton of blogs, but always wished and tried to goad me into writing in some sort of forum and some sort of place. And, you know, never did for any number of a million reasons. It's been a way that I feel really connected to her in writing through this. Yeah. You've really found your voice. Yeah. I've noticed that when I am not writing, when I'm not sharing that I actually, like, it feels physically stuck in my throat. Mm, Totally. Like, I can tell, okay, I need to sit down and write. There's something that I need to share and something that I need to work through. And so I do. I sit down and just write. And and often, most of my posts I write in about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm, like, thinking about it for days and days and weeks. And then it just, like, shows up. Totally. I feel like I have the same experience. I feel like lots of people um, are talking to about how like there's this compulsion to write. Yeah. And I have that same thing where I'm just like, like I, I never really plan it. It's just like it gets to sort of a breaking point where you're just like, I have to write this down now. Yeah, exactly. It's such a weird experience. Annie would have loved reading and and seeing me write my way through this and sharing my way through this so it's like a beautiful way to honor her yeah yeah Mm. so um can you tell us your story about you and annie and how you met and yeah about Um, your marriage so annie lived all over the world but kind of ended up her last couple of years of high school in kansas city had a good friend (laughs) there uh yeah she went to high school in london Rio de Janeiro and Kansas City. So, oh my gosh. I always feel like, how do people do that? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, you know, had a really good friend there in Kansas City that ended up living across the hall from me while I was going to school. And I became good friends with him. He just called me one night 
invited me over to Annie's house to watch a movie. This was all in college. This is all in college, yeah. Okay. And so I was 22 at the time. She was 21. Mm. And we met in April of 2006. And we got married in August of 2006. Oh, my so, goodness. Yeah. Wow. Um, it was... <laughs> It was really, really fast. My romantic heart is like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, we both grew up in the LDS church and mm-hmm. uh, the culture in that world is very much get married really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did. And uh, since then, you know, we, we had two kids together Uh my daughter is now 13 and son is uh, 10 years old. Uh, that was really hard on her. A lot of postpartum depression that she dealt with. Uh, and that kind of, you know, dealing with those mental health issues actually led to us leaving our church and mm. kind of never looking back. But it, it, that was something that very much bonded her and I together in a way that was really important to us and it taught me a lot about you know losing something and then rebuilding Mm. but it was you know it did definitely you know we lost our support network we lost a lot of that world it really felt like at the time a death that we went through Mm. and then a rebuilding and and a reconnection a reframing of our relationship you know we had built our original relationship around that framework yeah and definitely had to figure out what that what we meant in the new kind of framework Um, yeah that was a huge part of your life it sounds like yeah but then she kind of in that process started painting and became an artist and selling uh her art and then August 2020, she got sick, mm-hmm. uh, and we didn't really know exactly what was going on. It was a weird kind of illness. You know, she was very, very lethargic, spent all day in bed, wasn't really able to function at all. Eating became hard. Uh, and then she, beginning of September, she woke up with yellow eyes, mm-hmm. very jaundice. So called a friend of ours who's a doctor and he ordered some blood work she went down and he got the results at like 11 p.m and called us and said go to the er so that began a three-month whirlwind of you know the cancer diagnosis uh ended up with pancreatic cancer and trying to do treatments but then being completely unable to eat the tumor grew through her duodenum and just like shut everything off and you know made it so she couldn't eat and just got sicker and sicker and the oncologist the whole time really wanted her you know it was a terminal illness but wanted to maybe buy her a couple of months to be able to get into her studio and pain but it just never happened it was really it was like watching a train wreck in slow motion Mm -hmm. no real break from the horror of it and so she died in the middle of december 
of 2020. So we got three months to kind of talk and work through a a few issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wrote about it recently. Really, we never figured out how to talk to each other in that context. And so there was a lot that was left unsaid and on top of dealing with all of the scheduling and all of the procedures and all of the trauma that was going on. Yeah. I just pulled them out of school and we just kind of gritted our teeth and survived. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot lately about what I'm taking from my marriage and going to be carrying on. So what do you feel like are some of the best things you took from your marriage with Annie? Probably the biggest thing was learning how to communicate. You know, we got married in our early 20s and really had no idea how to, like, talk about anything. Yes. (laughs) Um, We didn't have the relationship where we were, like, fighting all of the time, but it was just, like, we'd run into issues and just not talk about them. Yeah. And it was just, like, well... You know, and it would take months sometimes for us to be able to be like, hey, this is bothering me. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of bothers me when you tell me how to drive or, you know. <laughs> the, the nuance of marriage. Yeah, exactly. You know, the nuance of marriage, the nuance of like having kids and like mm-hmm. talking about how to divide household responsibilities and yeah you know just all of that you know neither of us had those skills and so we learned that together yeah and now at this point I'm very good at it like yeah I was just gonna say and you're doing that again now which we'll get to but I'm like oh it must be such a different experience it's a very different experience it feels like I've been able to with Brooke, not to give away the ending, but or the middle <laughs> or whatever, but with Brooke and this relationship I have with her feels like it's on like 10 X speed compared yeah. to my relationship with Annie, just cause I'm not learning how to have simple conversations and yeah. work through minor issues. It's just like, well, here's the issue. Let's talk about it. What do you think? You know, it's, so much easier now in this relationship. I read a post from someone. She said something like, the next person I love will know the me that was never a child. And I thought that yeah. was so fascinating. Did you see that one? I didn't see it, but that... I was just like, exactly. yeah, that's a, I'm a whole different me. Yeah, I mean, I when Annie died, I very much feel like I died. Mm-hmm. You know, the version of me that existed with Annie died. Yeah. And the last year and a half part of that process has been like learning who I am Mm -hmm. after all of that. Yeah. That seems like a pretty big commonality that we all have. So, you know, Annie died in December and the week that she died, I started Googling, I'm a widower, you know, Mm. just like, what the hell do I do? Sort of like, (laughs) yeah. Type Googling. And I've never Googled, I'm a widow, so I don't know what would come up there. But literally 50% of all of the search results were, so you're dating a widower, you know, from the perspective of the woman who is now dating a widower. Interesting. I was like, 
okay i guess and the, it like sent me down this like rabbit hole of you're like, like i'm dateable <laughs> i'm i'm dateable and <laughs> like um so I, weird i'm doing this like on my phone at two in the morning annie mm -hmm. is like you know right next to me you know barely hanging on to life and mm. i'm reading these articles about dating widowers <laughs> yeah oh um, my gosh you know so it started me thinking about it and you know annie and i did have the like conversations about dating and remarrying potentially mm. and uh, what you know did she all say that. about that she very much wanted me to date and find new love she in fact like would not even let me buy a double burial plot mm. you know because in her mind i was 36 when she died so you know in her mind she's like whoever you whoever you find potentially you'll be with them twice as long as you were with me you know Such and she's like idea. i don't want you yeah it was and wasn't even something i had even thought about <laughs> you know it was totally something that she just presented as yeah. we were talking about and working through all of the like end of life things did she give you conditions was she like nobody with nope. <laughs> <This>. mm. <laughs> nope she that sounds very loving had no conditions had no you know part of part of that experience that we went through with leaving our religion mm. was very much a big part of it was working through the idea of ownership in relationships and decoupling from the idea that our marriage meant we not literally but like in a lot of ways owned parts of each other um yeah. and so in the process of like decoupling and working through that you know we had gotten to the point where our marriage was built on the idea that we were individuals who woke up every day and committed to each other every day mm -hmm. you know and part of that was we got married when we were 21 and 22 nobody wants to like be held accountable for every decision that we make in our early 20s and so you know we very much built rebuilt our relationship around this idea of like you know we are committing to each other every day yeah for both of us i think you know i think it made it easier for her to say to me like rebuild your life with somebody else and it's been easier for me as i've been moving forward to not feel like you know i owe annie anything or yeah. like i'm betraying anything that i built with her by building something new you know yeah and, that's really nice that you had the foresight to have the conversation and yeah that it gives you some peace yeah so you know by february was feeling like not that I felt ready to start dating, but I got to the point where I, the thought I had was, this is always going to be hard. Yeah. I could wait 10 years and start dating 10 years from now, and it's going to be hard to work mm -hmm. through these issues. So I just, it was like a Saturday night. It was actually a week after Valentine's Day. And then the mm. two month anniversary of her death was the next day. And then my birthday was the day after that. Oh, and gosh. it was, it was hell. Like it was really, really bad. And so mm -hmm. got to the next week and was just like, you know what, maybe there's somebody out there that can handle this. <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to be as open and as honest and 
just like put myself out there. And my thought was, it's always going to be hard and nothing is going to be as hard as that, you know, four months of her being sick and dying. And if I'm going to be sad and miserable and if the next year of my life is going to be hard, that's that's true no matter what. I might as well see if there's someone out there that is willing to like hang out with me (laughs) Yeah, and we'll see how it goes. So I signed up for Bumble. I think I also signed up for Hinge. I had no idea what I was doing. Like I didn't like, (laughs) you know, it had been 15 years and I didn't even have a smartphone when I was I don't, smartphones didn't even exist <laughs> like yeah like the flip phone was the rage <laughs> yeah yeah it was or the, the razor like, slide <laughs> I, I was paying per text and <laughs> <laughs> that just... makes it sound super old we're actually not that old just to clarify <laughs> yes that is true also it just means that smartphones really are not that old like that okay is... So that is a great way to reframe it simon yeah exactly anyway so i was just like fuck it let's do it signed up matched with brooke within like 12 hours oh my goodness you're a fast mover yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes it it, you know we matched quickly we started chatting uh we had done a couple of like virtual dates Hmm. and we had set our first date for you know just like a friday night go out to dinner sort of thing can I ask you about the virtual date thing? Yeah. Uh-huh. Did you do that because of logistics with your kids or you just felt like I want to get a sense before I actually go out or? Um, yes, all of the above, you know, okay. it, it made it easier to, to get to know her. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, she's divorced and has two kids. I have two kids and you know, no one else to watch them regularly. And it was a pandemic. And it was a pandemic. And I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And Perfect. <laughs> it just kind of happened that way. Yeah. But we set up a, an in-person date, woke up the morning of, and my son just was having a really, really bad grief day. Mm. Um. And at this point, I hadn't put widower in my bio. I don't even know if it was an option. At least I know on Hinge, you have to like choose to write it. You know, we hadn't talked about it. We, you know, I had that I put that I had kids, you know, I knew that she had Mm -hmm. kids, but we hadn't talked about background or anything much at that point. But my son woke up having a really, really bad day. And it just wasn't going to work. Yeah. So I just messaged Brooke and was just like, so real talk. Mm -hmm. uh, Here's what my life is. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to work. And it it came back to my kind of condition that I had set for myself of just like, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to just like show up fully in whatever happens. Yeah. However, whoever I'm talking to handles that, it's not going to be worse than watching Annie die. And mm. so whatever, if, if they can't handle it, oh, well. That makes total sense. You know, yeah. it's just like, like nothing is going to compare to that. And yeah. So I crafted this thing where I was just like, here's what's going on. Here's my life. And here's what's handle- happening with my son. And it's not going to work out. 
I still want to like, let's reschedule. Um, Brooke's response was really wonderful and really Mm. kind and empathetic and understanding in a way that I was like, okay, you know, I can trust her with what's going on. I can trust her with my emotions and all of that. And so rescheduled for the week later and dropped my kids off at my, at Annie's parents' house and picked her up and, you know, went out on a date and it went really, really well. So it's been 14 months. Okay. A little over a year. Since that first, you know, match on Bumble and about 13 months since our first in-person date. And it's gone really well. It's been interesting. I mean, to put the full cart in front of the house or in front of the horse, her and her kids are moving in at the end of May. Yeah. You know, things are going really, really well. I so right now I'm dealing with contractors to build a room in the basement of my house so our two kids, our two sons can share a room down there. And So this is um, the sa- you're in the same house that you shared with Annie, correct? Yes. Yeah, it's okay. the same house I lived in with Annie. Did you have any reservations about that? Um, yes and no. It was more about could I still live in the house that Annie and I shared, independent of anything that happened with Brooke or in my dating experience. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, like, can I live here? You know, can I exist in the same space where I have all of these memories with Annie? You know, I came to the answer for that of, yes, like, I, I can do that. Um, and that was a much harder question than like, once I answered that, yeah, could I live here and build a life with Brooke? And and do you feel like that decision, because this is just full transparency, this is something I grapple with all the time. Like, yeah. it's like some days I'm just like, it feels so good to live here because this is the house we shared and all of our memories and our life was here. And some days yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to move forward if I stay here. Yeah. Um, so for me, I feel like I'm constantly putting it through this filter of what about my kids? So how did your kids play into that? The funny story about that is like a year before Annie got sick, Annie was a little bit of a hypochondriac. She thought a lot about her own death and my death. Oh, interesting. It's like the cruelest irony in the world that mm. someone like Annie got like a very like devastating cancer diagnosis because yeah. she like worried about it all the time. Like half of my Marco Polos from Annie include something like her noticing something on her skin and being like, oh, I wonder if that's cancer. Wow. So for something to end up being cancer Mm -hmm. with for her was beyond cruel, ironic, you know, whatever. Yeah. But so a year before she got sick, she actually like I got home one day from work and she was like. If I died, what would you do? Oh my goodness. <laughs> and my my like gut response was cuz I at the time I was commuting about 50 minutes north of where I live and my gut response was, well, I'd sell the house and move up be close to work. You know, that yeah. just seems like it would be way more convenient and Yeah. She's like, "No, you can't do that." Mm-hmm. You know, she you know, she's like, "You can't move. That would be she was like, think about it. Our kids just lost their mom. Don't take their wow. home away from them too. 
Um, At the very least, after she died, I was like, okay, I'm giving it a year. You know, I'll see how it feels after a year. I'm not going to, I'm not going to move within the first year. Um, In that year, though, I thought through that. And, you know, it is true that my kids' friends are here. Their life is here in a lot of ways. And everybody's different. Every situation's different. But for my kids, it felt right to let them stay where they are for now yeah who knows down the road with jobs and everything we'll see can i back up a little and ask Uh how did these conversations go with you and brooke about moving in because it's like a kind of a huge deal um you know or maybe it's not i i mean it is a huge deal but like something changed in me with when annie died to where I felt and still feel very strongly that I am not going to let fear or uncertainty get in the way of me living a life that Mm. is fulfilling and has love in it and human connection in it. Yeah. So the conversations came up organically. And part of that is Brooke. She's also not afraid of having those conversations. She's also not somebody who has a thought and keeps it in her head, uh, you know, to Mm. herself. (laughs) I know nothing about people like that. I'm just kidding. That's like totally me. I can't keep anything in my brain. You know, where I like beforehand, before Annie got sick, I'd have thoughts and I'd, you know, I'd be like, I can't share this until I've thought through every contingency. And now it's mm-hmm. just like, mm-hmm. no, I'll have the conversation out loud and work through yeah. it out loud. So a lot of this stuff just came up organically. I came to a lot of crossroads. And I think we kind of chatted about this on Instagram a little bit, where I came to a lot of places in our relationship where it was either... I don't want to wait to like move it forward. I'm not in a place where I'm was interested or am interested in having a relationship that is just dating without any sort of future or conversation about the future. So, you know, a lot of it was like, okay, well, what is the next step for me? I would, it was always, what is the next step? Not like, what are eight steps down the road? Yeah, it was just like, okay, well, next step at some point was like, let's take a trip together and Mm. see how that goes. With the kids or just the two of you? Just the two of us to start. Where'd you go? We went to Chicago and we spent the weekend there four days in Chicago, you know, went to a Cubs game. We went to some restaurants. We went on the river tour. We went, you know, we just kind of hung out and spent the weekends there. And at this point I had told my closest friends about Brooke and this was in September. So we had been dating for a while, you know, but I hadn't really, hadn't really told very many people Mm -hmm. kind of wanted to keep that to myself and just kind of see what mine and her connection was outside of the chorus of everybody else yeah and Mm -hmm. yeah like potential judgment and potential awkwardness and weirdness and told my kids uh before we went to chicago that i was dating someone and Mm -hmm. 
that went well. And so got home from Chicago and was like, okay, what's the next step? When you told your kids, did they ask you questions about it or were they pretty much just like, okay? Um, my oldest was just like, all right, sounds good. You know, okay. she, <laughs> she was totally fine and on board with it. And how um, old is she? She's 13. Okay. And then my youngest, who's 10, he had a few more questions. He was like, okay, okay. well, what does that mean? The one thing my daughter did say is, oh, so every time you've told us that you were going to hang out with a friend, but wouldn't tell us who the friend was, was that her? I was like, That's yeah. So <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was what my daughter was like, too. She was like, oh, is that what you're doing when you don't work? On yeah. that one day a week. And I was like, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you caught me. <laughs> My son, though, had a lot more questions. He was a lot more concerned about mm. what that meant. And we had a lot of conversations about how, you know, love works and how mm -hmm. it's possible to love his mom, to love Annie and to remember her and also to have this other relationship and yeah. that you know doing something new and finding someone new doesn't take away from anything and it never means that his mom has been replaced yeah for probably the first like two or three months we talked through what he was feeling about once mm -hmm. a week it's really good that he's able to do that. Yeah, his ability to communicate about his feelings has just blown me away. Mm. It's really, really impressive. This is so interesting because my son is also like that. And uh -huh. one morning he was just like, I know when I'm having a hard day, I can feel it everywhere inside of my body. And I was just like, you're seven. Like yeah. the fact <laughs> that you can say that is so amazing. And that took me until I was 25 to be able Seriously, to Seriously, <laughs> maybe older. Definitely older. Okay, so you had the great weekend. You told the kids. Told the kids. And so, you know, the next step was to introduce them to Brooke. Yeah. So she came down and, you know, Brooke and I had had some sleepovers um, without the kids. So we kind of knew how that went between the two of us. And we were just like, all right, well, we're going to introduce her to the kids. And mm -hmm. so she came down after work one Friday and... You know, we had planned a big dinner and I talked to them a bunch and, you know, was very clear to step back a little bit. Brooke and I kind of talked through, okay, like, what is your expectation of this? And what is my expectation of this experience? And what do you... That's so mature. <laughs> you know, we talked through, like, what should the sleeping arrangements be? You know, would mm -hmm. it be weird for my kids for her to sleep in the same bed that me and Annie slept in. You know, so we talked through all of that and kind of came to the consensus that like her and I would do what we were going to do that evening. And we would mm -hmm. invite my kids to participate yeah. in all of it, but then let them decide kind of what they were comfortable with. Let them yeah. drive the interactions between them and Brooke. Um, yeah. It ended up, it was a nice enough night. We ordered pizza, we ate outside and had that conversation with my kids before she got there of like, here's what me and Brooke will be doing 
come with us if you want. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, you know where the switch is sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so she got there. You know, we had the pizza. We sat outside and we're eating. And both of them just kind of came outside and just mm. kind of sat down next to us. And mm -hmm. within 15 minutes, I was kind of the like fourth wheel of this experience of like <laughs> Rook and my kids just like sitting yeah. there, all of them talking and me just kind of watching and seeing how it went. And yeah. that lasted for about an hour. Did you guys make the conscious decision to introduce her to your kids without her kids present? I do think that was a conscious decision. Um, part of it is she had been divorced for four or five years at this point. Her mm -hmm. kids um, really didn't know much different than, you know, their mom being divorced. Yeah. Where it was all kind of new to my kids. Yeah. You know, so the feeling was it was going to be harder for my kids potentially sure. than it would be for her kids. Okay. We ended up having that situation too, um, where mm -hmm. my boyfriend met the kids without his kids present. And after the fact, it, it, it's a big long story, but it just kind of happened that way. And yeah. after the fact, we both said we couldn't have planned it any better because then the kids aren't focused on each other and they get yeah. to really just connect with the other person and, I, I just like one of those things I would say, I think it was, that's the way to go. Yeah. What I have tried through all of it to do is to change one thing at a time for yeah, my kids. Yeah, exactly. Me too. And introduce one variable instead of all at once. Yeah. Again, it went really well. It was weird for my son for a little bit. Uh, my daughter kind of loved her immediately, mm -hmm. <laughs> like just is a 13 year old girl and yeah. just kind of was craving, I think that sort of relationship and that sort of, yeah. um, a woman. Yeah. And so, you know, she just took to it immediately where my son, yeah. it took a little bit longer, uh, jumping ahead a little bit when it was more, has become more like, okay, well, Brooke is an adult in the home that yeah. when she asks you to do something, like you need to do it. Um, yeah. That was probably the hardest adjustment for him mm. to kind of see her as a an authority figure in his mm -hmm. life. That is something we've talked through kind of quite a bit. Sure. Yeah, that feels tricky. And how do the kids get along with each other? Really well. Um, That's a blessing. It is. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a little bizarre how well they get along. Mm, um, that's great. Her oldest is a boy and her youngest is a girl. So it's 13, 10, and then 9 and 7. Okay. So, I mean, honestly, if, you know, we go out and, you know, it just looks like a normal family yeah. based on the ages. There was a little bit of an adjustment where the, the two middle kids kind of changed roles in the family where you know mm. my youngest is now the second oldest and has two little siblings and yeah. her oldest is now second Younger. youngest and has two yeah. older siblings you know that is kind of a dynamic that was a little difficult to manage and and deal with but i mean honestly we just have made it very clear for 
all of them right from the beginning that both me and Brooke can be talked to about anything. Mm. Brooke asked my kids about Annie. You know, she is very conscious of making sure and keeping her memory alive and keeping her a part of our family. When my youngest has a grief day, you know, has a day where he's sad, that is never something that she makes him feel bad for. Mm. Um, and, And I've told Brooke this multiple times, like if I, before started date, I started dating, could have made like a here's the here's the line in the sand you know things that i cannot accept in a relationship that's that would have been my number one thing yeah i feel fully capable in my like heart to be able to open up and build a new life with someone yeah but i can't you know that first love you know between me and annie is always going to exist. Of course. And she will always be my kid's mom. And I need space in whatever relationship for that to exist and for that to be maintained and real. Mm -hmm. It works because Brooke is able to do that and navigate that. And yeah, that's such a gift from the very beginning of, you know, me canceling our first date. um, It's just worked. And it's been interesting, you know, starting to date so early in the grieving process, Mm -hmm. because she was there and witnessed so much of it. Yeah, and has been willing to, you know, sit with me while I cry or sit with yeah. me while I frantically write my Instagram posts. Hmm. And and when you marry so young, I was just talking to my parents about this today. When you marry so young, you know, you grow up with your spouse, right? You, yeah. you grow in so many things together. You're just like children and then you grow up together yeah. and figure it out. And it sounds like you and Brooke will have a similar yet very different experience where you're going through together the grieving of Annie and... Yeah. She's there. She's seeing it. It's so real for her too. And yeah. that feels really, really beautiful in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's like a growing up in a new life together. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy for you that this is working out. Yeah. And also I, I think like, especially because our stories are synchronous in so many ways that yeah. I feel like I'm so fortunate to be able to watch you do it first yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or message yeah. you on Instagram and be like, what did you do about this? <laughs> <laughs> oh Help. yeah. I, because so much of that, I was like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. And, but, but you're honestly, handling it all so well. I, the thing I keep coming back to is like, honestly, I did something with, you know, watching, taking care of Annie and dealing with her death and dealing with my grief and my kids grief that I just feel unafraid. <laughs> like, yeah. Yep. I've had the thought experiments many times over like the last year plus of like, okay, let's say this thing with Brooke ends, you know, it falls apart for whatever reason. It's not going to be worse. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it's not going to be harder than that. Not that I like, you know, anticipate I, you know, obviously I do not want it to end or like 
want to go through anything painful again. Yeah. It's just like, I have been able to figure out so much already in my life. And I just feel like I'm not going to let any of that fear get in the way of something potentially being really, really good and wonderful. I think that's really admirable. And I think I expect that it's something a lot of people are going to need to hear. Oh, hopefully. I mean, really, like, so easy to get caught up, even though, like, the veil has been lifted a little bit on life and death and grief and all of that. There's still worries, right? And yeah, sometimes you just forge through that and yeah. you're doing it. And well, so I, it was this last week I spent the night over at Brooks and woke up at two in the morning panicked. Mm. You know, just like my heart was racing. Just there weren't even any words associated with it. I was just like mm. in full blown fight or flight, like panic mode. Yeah. And, you know, it came from like, okay, there's this thing that I am building and what if I lose it again? And what if, what if Brooke gets sick and what if I get sick or what if Mm -hmm. one of our kids gets sick? You know, it's there. Yeah. Like you said, it's like the veil has been lifted. I have no misconception that at some point this is ending one Mm -hmm. way or another. Mm -hmm. Me and Brooke's time together is finite. I know that that will happen at some point one way or another i have learned with my grief how to just like sit with that feeling and say like is this transitory is this something that is indicative of like a real flaw or real concern that i need to have Mm -hmm. or is this something that is momentary is this something Mm -hmm. that i can sit with and let go of mm. and move through the the choice then to me feels like do i allow it to exist and then let it go or do i sit with it and let it potentially get in front of or get in the way of something bigger get in the yeah. way of a love that's developing is there an app for that i could really use that <laughs> yeah like, is I, this real or not? Help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like real Google, but for... <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. We are running out of time, so we have to do okay. quick questions. Let's All right, here we go. So online dating. Okay, yes, yes. you told us. I I did the bumble. Um, you did not put your widow status on your profile. That's I what did you not, said. No. Okay. Do you see yourself getting married again someday? Yes. Okay. Eventually. Do you think you would have kids again? Uh, did no. gender experimentation ever come into play for you? It did not. Um, no. Did you feel the widow's fire? Um, so then yes. the follow up question is self gratification. Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if this question applies to you, but the whole like, would you have your friends set you up thing? Let's say worst um, case scenario, this doesn't work out. I mean, you know, if if I were ever forced into that situation again, yes, I would uh, let friends set okay. me up. Did you skip anybody named Annie when you were looking at dating profiles? Um, I don't think I was on the apps long enough to <laughs> en- have encountered that. You mean twelve uh, that hours situation. wasn't enough? Yeah, it, it was. I didn't <laughs> come across. <laughs> I think I would have skipped it at that point. Uh, 
now, honestly, I probably would skip it now okay. too. Have you ever accidentally called Brooke Annie? I have not, but it has come close. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have caught it in my mind it. a few times before before it happened. <laughs> I feel you. Okay. Um, the song recommendation for our building Spotify playlist. Oh, yes. Okay. Tell um, us what song you picked and why. So there is an album by Cloud Cult. Okay. Um, the album is The Seeker. Okay. Um, the main guy of Cloud Cult lost a child. And mm. so it's dealt with a lot of grief and the seeker. I don't think it's necessarily written specifically about that experience, but you can tell it is an album that is written by somebody who has experienced that intense mm. grief. Okay. But I can't add the whole album to the playlist. <laughs> if I had to pick a okay. song, <laughs> which you're making me. I'm making you. I'm um, forcing you. Yeah. I would pick the great okay. unknown. Awesome. Can't wait to listen. All right. So all of you with so, grief playlists out there, this, this can be added. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Final question. What's one thing you're really looking forward to? At this point, I am looking forward to, and probably it's the thing I miss most about my relationship with Annie was just the like comfortable, contented silence of... Mm. A relationship where like Brooke and I have ha have experienced that but just the like in a shared home in a shared space that is just like yeah. built by two people who love each other and that mm -hmm. experience of just like both of you feeling at home in that space yeah. and completely comfortable to where you don't have to talk and yet you still feel connected and you still kind of know what's going on in the other person's brain and yes. that level of connection and love. That's what I look forward to the most. I love that. That and sharing food, those two yes. things. <laughs> All right, Simon, this was so great. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much for your time. I loved it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I think one of my favorite parts of this interview was when Simon talked about how he wasn't going to allow fear to dictate his decisions in his life after losing Annie. I know I hold a lot of fear about the future and potential loss again, and I just really appreciate his approach and the way he sort of dove into this, knowing that he loved companionship and that was important for him. And then sort of making it happen. I wish the very best to Simon and Brooke as they merge their families and figure out this new journey together. I guess at the end of the podcast, I'm also supposed to say something like, this podcast is written, edited, and produced by me. And there's special music by my very good friend and school music teacher, Jamie Guerra. This has been Dating After Death. We'll see you next time.